Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back to another new episode of the Define University podcast and another one of my favorites to record. It is another Share Your Story series. And today I am so honored. I'm so grateful, blessed. How many words can I use to describe? I am so excited to uh, introduce all of the listeners here to Brad Hughes. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Lindsay, great to be with you. Such a pleasure to connect with you in in so many ways, both uh, being invited onto your podcast, but uh, our work together and getting to know each other through Teach Better Team. And uh, as I mentioned just prior to our interview, the, the stuff that you put out there is always top of mind and top of list for me. Uh, and so uh, really grateful to connect with you in this way. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And, and Brad, I feel the same way. And, you know, I think, it's, I think it's something to be said that when you start as an educator, when you start to reach out and you start to build that community, that supportive network, you know, that, that, that supports you no matter what. I think that for me has been kind of the biggest silver lining over the last six months is that I have been connected with people that, I maybe I would have connected with some way, shape, or how, but the the speed in which those connections have happened, and you know, listeners listening probably each week are like, oh, that's another connection through you know the Teach Better team, another connection through this person to that person, and that's the beauty of it. And oftentimes, I will talk about this like tipping point, just that all it takes is one. And once you start that, you know, think of a snowball going down a hill, we're headed into winter here, you know, as you, you start that, it doesn't take much for it to keep going. And so it literally was that. And for me, that first person uh, was Dave, was Dave Schmidt. And through that, it like exploded. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for our connection. I think you and I see eye to eye on so many things, yet I still learn so much from you when I hear you speak. And, and so I'm so honored to kind of dive into uh, your story today. And But before we do that, can you, if listeners aren't familiar with you, can you give a little, just a little background, who you are, what you do, all that good stuff? Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks. So uh, currently, I'm an elementary school principal. Uh, I live and work in Waterloo Region, Ontario, Canada. Uh, it's about an hour uh, west of uh, the Greater Toronto area. Uh, currently, I'm serving at uh, Forest Hill Public School in the city of Kitchener. It's a K-6 to school. Uh, we have about uh, a little under 500 students enrolled. Uh, right now, we have 175 of those students who are learning at home. So our district has a combination of, of in-person teachers devoted to in-person teaching within our school buildings. Uh, and we also have uh, hundreds of teachers serving thousands of kids who are learning at a distance. So this is my 25th year as an educator. Uh, I served 16 years in the classroom. I taught uh, every grade from, uh, from kindergarten to eighth grade. Um, I've got a background in visual arts and English literature. So I actually left school hoping to become uh, a visual arts teacher. And it wasn't until the very end of my teaching career that I had the opportunity to do that. So most recently, I taught uh, middle school visual arts. Uh, I taught some music. Uh, I taught French. Uh, French was my, uh, was my go-to all teaching career. Uh, what I got from 
what I what I got from there most recently was uh, was uh, finishing my career with uh, middle school French, visual arts, uh, and uh, some special education as well. So uh, I've been in uh, school leadership for nine years, um, a vice principal and then appointed principal in the same district. Um, I, I have a lovely family. I've got uh, two children, uh, 20 and 18 years old. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, is a, uh, uh, a child care provider in our home. So she's had a home-based business for um, really uh, 17 years doing that too. So each of us in our family has been really devoted to uh, supporting kids in our own way. So um, that's a little bit about me. Oh my gosh, I love it. So you're like surrounded by kids all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I have a really random side, side question, but it's part of the things that I love that we are connected. So those of you that may not know, I was born in Canada, um, but moved to New York in uh, when I was in second grade. And you saying, you know, you were a French teacher. I thought about it because so here in the States, we don't start foreign language till about, um, I want to say maybe sometimes sixth grade. It's usually like an eighth grade is where we start. But I remember like I started French in first grade. So is it still, that's my random question. Is it still where you start kids out really young and they learn that second language um, the whole way through? Yeah, it sure is in our district. In the province of Ontario, kids must start uh, learning French through what's called a core French program in grade four. Uh, our district had a start uh, for grade one, and that's actually where I got my start, uh, teaching, teaching uh, first, second, and third grade uh, core French. Uh, we also have some immersion programs. So on our district, uh, certain students in classes have half the day in French, half the day in English. Uh, and I grew up in the city of London, uh, just west of Kitchener-Waterloo. And uh, in some of those cases they have full immersion so I actually got some of my teachers education at a school where the language of, uh, of instruction was French for uh, up to 90% of the day so yeah it was French that got me employed and kept me employed and, and I loved it uh, and I had the opportunity to kind of grow along with my students beginning with the primary grades and then as I gained more experience I was given uh, junior assignments and my, my kids uh, that I learned that I got to know in the primary grades, they, they kind of went up, up the ranks with me. So having an opportunity to see kids grow over the years is, is one of the true privileges of, uh, of a career in education. And, you know, whether you see a kid's growth from day to day or week to week or year to year, you know, um, being someone that is important to them and, and being someone that is memorable to them, especially when you run into them outside of school is just so gratifying. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and something I just thought of. So, you know, as the principal at the school, you, you know, you get to see the kids, you know, really hypothetically kindergarten through sixth grade, right? You get to, to lead them for, for potentially seven years. And I think oftentimes, you know, some of our students, you mentioned it is, it is like year to year. It's not, we may not see a ton of growth in the day to day, but by having that outside perspective and being able to see, wow, this is how this student was in kindergarten and then first grade and second grade. And I think, I think that there's something powerful about that because I think, you know, I, I look at myself when I was in the classroom, sometimes I struggled to see some of that growth, like, oh man, are we really making gains here? And now in my role as, as a district level, so I go across, you know, 10 buildings and I work with kids year after year after year. I get to be that person at the team to say, but guys, look, here's the graph, here's the, you know, I do behavior. So here's the graph, here's the information from last year. What a shift. And I kind of get to be that like celebration. Do you find that, that you get to do that too, as the principal and help teachers really see, you know, in that, in that comparison piece, but student to student, instead of, 
you know, comparing everybody to everybody, but helping them navigate that growth each year. If it is a student that's not showing a fast growth, I guess, if you will. Yeah, I, I sure do. And that, that's one of the important roles of, you know, uh, of, of school leaders is to, is to hold and frame information uh, about growth and progress for educators who, of course, want things to progress really quickly. They want things to progress swiftly. They, they want to see the benefit of the time, investment, uh, care, energy they're putting into a child. You, you want to see quick gains. For many of our students, though, the gains are going to be uh, slow and steady. Uh, and it's, it's only looking back after a number of months or even years of investing in strategies, uh, in care, in in belief that uh, you see the outcome. And it's, I would say it's, as principal, it's the same for our relationships with, with uh, parents, caregivers, and families. You know, some of our biggest successes uh, at our school and some of the most, you know, the, the most meaningful successes I've experienced have been the result of, of years of investment uh, in, in families that may have been um, uh, mistrusting, uh, disengaged. Uh, you never know how families are coming to uh, your school, and many have experienced uh, not only um, uh, uh, challenging, uh, challenging situations in their own schooling, but also, I mean, I think as educators, we kind of expect that, that families believe that um, we've got their best interest at heart. Like, it, we, we can't assume that families are coming to our schools trusting us. We, we have to put the trust out there. We have to show and demonstrate that we're trustworthy uh, before that trust is earned. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, the, the, biggest, um, the biggest successes personally and also professionally are, are the ones where we've invested years of time in, in bringing a family along and, and earning their trust. And, and then, then you can provide that perspective back to staff members who, again, necessarily want things to progress quickly that you know you're you're modeling the way forward and you're demonstrating that it takes a long time um, but it's by leveraging the investment in the relationships that you've made uh, that you're going to achieve all the difference for families and if you are serving families you're serving their kids best interest as well wow uh yes i you know for for obviously people listening they can't see me but my head is just going up and down yes absolutely and i love that and i i wrote down you know hold and frame the growth of our students and i think that is so important as leaders and and i think teachers are leaders too to me everybody is is a leader in in some way shape or form and i think that is so important to just remember how are we defining growth how are we defining what success looks like and recognizing that different students in our classrooms different teachers in our buildings different parents we all have different uh, definitions of success. And one of my favorite, what it made me think of is one of my favorite questions to ask parents in the beginning of the year is, what is your goal for your child this school year? And it's, you always get the most open and honest answers. And, and oftentimes I actually get, wow, I've never been asked that. And, you know, for some parents, you know, I get the, the kind of cliche answer of like, for them to do well. And I go, okay, well, let's break down well. What does that mean, right? If I sit, if we're sitting here in June, June, whatever the last day of school is, how would I know if, if we were successful? How would, how would you know that your child was successful? What would that look like? And for some, it's hard because they've never been asked that question. And I think it invites conversation because for some of our kids, my, my crazy, craziest, you know, in quotes, but the answer that I wasn't really, really ready for was basically that the student um, would start opening up about their emotions. 
And, you know, I just, and, and it now being where I'm at, like that wouldn't surprise me, but just a few years ago that, that wasn't something, you know, I'm ready for like, I want them to pass. I want them to get, you know, good grades. I, that's where my brain went. And for this parent to say, I just want them to understand their emotions and be able to express them. And I was like, oh, okay, we can do that. But if that's the parent's goal, and then the teachers, we have this goal on passing and, and getting good, you know, A's or whatever grade we're predetermining is, is successful or not. And then the second or the more important question is to ask the student, right? What's your goal? But I think it's really important. And I love to me that that helps establish that, that trust and that investment and that we really want parent voice, we want student voice. And really to me, those two voices together help me as the educator know, you know, what direction am I going through the school year? So we've kind of already kind of gotten to, to the first question that I love to ask in the episode, but, you know, I would love to hear more about, you know, your mission as an educator, Brad. So if someone said like, what's your mission? Like, why is it that you get up and go to school every day? Why, why have you been in this field for 25 years? You know, what is it that, that keeps inspiring you to, to keep showing up? My mission has always been to really make kids day. Uh, and in my interactions with kids, just leave them feeling glad that we connected. Um, for me, it's about the enjoyment as well as the learning. And, and in my shift to school leadership, you know, my mission and passion continues to be, you know, doing all I can to ensure uh, better and better outcomes for kids. And I do that by uh, investing in and loving and supporting uh, the adults that serve them. Um, you know, in my school leadership role, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking out for ways to lighten the load or lighten the mood for, uh, for educators, um, trying to simplify things, trying to th- take things off their plate and, and trying to shelter them from distractions from what their core purpose is. And that's, you know, uh, being the best instructors and being the best cheerleaders that they can for kids. So that's what drives me. And uh, I, 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 really, I really consider um, optimism and a positive outlook as a lifestyle. And uh, I, I, I challenge myself to, to make acts of kindness just, uh, just a way of being, uh, a way of operating. So, um, Sometimes when you consider encouragement to perform a random act of kindness for someone, um, I've, been, I've been changing my mindset on that to just being intentionally kind um, and not knowing exactly what people are going through on any given day. You just, you just never know uh, what a kind word or gesture or, 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 or some kind of just gender, anything that you might do could make a world of difference to that kid or to that adult. So th- that's what drives me. Uh, and um, I, I love seeing smiles on kids' faces. I love hearing laughter. Uh, I love leaving interactions with kids and adults, um, feeling that we were just so glad to come together, if even for a moment, uh, and to go on our way with our day. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I love that you called it, you know, a lifestyle. It really is, it, it, to me, I'm, I'm full agreement there. It's this way of being. And, and I think for so long, I, I wanted to be, you know, this person when things were going well, but then in the midst of a challenge or in the midst of when something didn't turn out as I, as I had hoped, you know, it was like, well, how do I respond? And, and I think, again, and it's not to say that everything is sunshine and roses every single day, but it's the outlook. It's the mindset. It's what is this teaching me? What lesson can I learn? And I think that's so important. I know if I um, or when I was in the classroom as a, as a special education teacher, I did not have that mindset. I didn't have that. You know, I had it on the good days. 
but I did not have it on the bad days. And, and there was therefore, I think a lot more bad days because I couldn't find the meaning in them. And so now I know until we can find the meaning in something, it's going to keep showing up in different ways, different forms all around us. And until I could really figure out, you know, it wasn't about doing anything. It was about me seeing my kids for who they were and learning from them instead of assuming that I was the only one that could teach in the classroom. I had this very skewed person, you know, personal mindset on what teaching was supposed to look like, what it should look like. And I just think it's truly when you can make it that lifestyle, when you can make it about who am I, who do I show up as every day, no matter what, well, it actually becomes easier because you don't have to wear the 800 hats. It's like I finally felt when I went through this journey that, oh, this is who I am. Like the world can see me anytime and it's going to be Lindsay. That's who you're going to see. And, and I, that to me is what I was hearing from you in this you know, this way of being like, I get to be Brad, like you get to be Brad, I get to be Lindsay Mm -hmm. and to, and to love that. And I just think it's such an important message for students to hear, for teachers to hear, parents to hear. Um, and it's a message I think that needs to keep being said. (laughs) You started, we started our conversation and, and I, and I'm in full agreement that leadership is for everyone. You know, it, and if leadership is for everyone, it, and as a school leader, it's this, it's this mindset and this approach where I'm, I'm trying to model desired behaviors and attitudes and people around me can see the positive impact. And so uh, it may take one or it may take many, many attempts to, to model the way forward for you know, the school community, but this can take place in every interaction. It can be a telephone interaction, an email. It can be a, a pop into a classroom. It can be how you uh, greet your kids or wish them well on the way in and out of your classroom if you're a, a rotary or special, specialty teacher. Um, being present and being authentic in the moment is one of the greatest gifts that I've learned. And it hadn't, didn't come by it naturally because, you know, like you, um, really focused on what's next. What do I need to do next? What am I? And there, we, we as, as educators, um, are, are natural planners and we want to see the fruits of our energy, the fruits of our labors, um, in action, but um, slowing down a little bit and just being present moment to moment, um, you know, beside a kid uh, in, you know, a, you know, beside a kid and being their companion if they're in tears or um, just listening deeply when someone comes into your office with a question, um, being present out in the yards or, um, you know, greeting families as they arrive on your campus. Um, but just being present in the moment has been a true gift that, that I've learned and I, I continue to strive to get better at. Um, and when you are present and you leave someone feeling seen, heard, and understood, then that may give them the energy that they need to, to carry that forward. Uh, sort of like the ripple effect you've heard so much about. So I truly believe leadership is for everyone. And that continues to be one of my um, passions as well as, is developing leaders uh, among the people that I work with uh, and among the kids that I serve as well. Yeah, I think it's so, so much of what you just said, I resonate with, with wholeheartedly because it truly is about modeling. And, and I think it really is about becoming, right? Talking about being, being what you want to see. And so it's not about telling somebody to do something. It's not about telling them to do this, but it's about modeling. And made me think of a teacher I worked with a couple years ago and she was really struggling with some of the paraprofessionals in her class. And this was a, it was a pretty high need classroom, um, about six or seven paraprofessionals for one teacher for the students. And, 
it was it was a pretty busy room, if you will. And and the paraprofessional or the the teacher could not understand why the paraprofessionals kept thinking it was okay to just leave leave the room every now and then. Like they didn't really tell her that where they were going. We we assumed you know bathroom breaks or just you know getting a drink of water, but we really didn't know. And I, and I kind of just stepped back for a minute and started looking and I realized the teacher inadvertently was doing the same thing. But what was different about it is that the teacher really was going somewhere. She was going to the office to check in on a, on a parent phone call. She was going to the psychologist to, to grab the paperwork that she had to complete for the student. But nobody knew that. And so it just looked like well, in this classroom, it's okay to just go, you know, go and, and come as you please. And so I said, you know, I wonder if this is what's happening. And so we had a team meeting, we all came together and, and that was it. Like they just didn't know that it wasn't okay to do that because that's what they had been seeing. And so I think even if our intentions are different, realizing that people may perceive it in one way, shape or form. So if something is happening that you're not, you're not, it's not going well, you know, have that conversation, but recognize what we do is a huge factor in how other people will, will behave when they're around us. And the approach you just described, Lindsay, is so powerful. Like you said, you stepped back um, and, you, and you wondered. And so often as uh, teachers and school leaders, it's, it's, very, it, it's very easy to um, refer to the shoulds, you need tos, you, you ought tos. Um, but reframing whatever you're seeing is crucial. So you, you, just as you described, so powerful. You, you take time to step back. You, you take time to look at and then ask yourself, why is what I see happening and, and why is it happening now? Why might it be happening now? Um, if you change your mindset and change your language and your conjecture from should, ought, must to um, why, uh, why now, how could or why would or how might, um, you open up so many possibilities that you might might not have you know not not have come to if you're sort of in um, behavior discipline enforcement and 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 rules and regulation mode. And the other powerful thing you said is you, you said team meeting, and that's you share your observations, and it's so powerful when you can simply say, "Here's what I'm noticing, and here's what I'm wondering about the situation," um, whether it's. Um, whether it's uh, uh, developing relationships so teams can work better together, whether it's addressing um, uh, academic or safety issues um, that are you know, part of a district approach, you know, to, to say to COVID-19 or to special education, um, continually modeling the way where you're curious about what's happening and where you're, you're constantly communicating belief in the power of the team uh, to figure out what's next. And, and it's a constant process of, not wanting to fix things, but to continually make them just a little bit better. Um, and, you know, I often say, and it's often been said that the answer is in the room. So um, as the teacher in the room or as the principal in the school, uh, people are looking to you uh, for clarity. They're looking to you for answers. And in, in many cases, like Brene Brown says, clarity is kindness, especially at such a busy and uncertain and, and fraught time as we're in right now with the pandemic. But um, as often as you can, if you model the way forward by, observing, wondering, naming what you're seeing. Um, and then, you know, the answer is going to be in the room. The answer is going to be among the team members. And in the end, it's the team members that are going to have to carry the changes forward. They're, they're, they have to, um, you know, for so many reasons, maintain ownership of the solution. I just love what you said. Yeah. Oh, so good. It made me think too of, 
Um, so two of my, my favorite books that I really, once I read them, really shifted my understanding. You know, my, my supervisors, my bosses, they've been telling me the notice and the wonders for, for three years now. And I was like, okay, okay. And <laughs> I just, I just never, I was like, I'll get to it. You know, it was one of those things. And, and then I read, um, the coaching habit and the advice track by Michael Bungay Steiner. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And it like, I think it's the simplicity of those books, but it like, it, I was like, Oh, that's all I have to ask is seven questions. Like that's it. And, and obviously it leads into a much broader conversation, but I realized through that process that I was doing way more of the doing <laughs> and not enough listening and reflecting and helping the other person. And it's made me a stronger coach. It's made me a stronger behavior specialist and just it's honestly made, you know, the weight of my shoulders. Cause I'm not, it's not my goal to fix it. It's not my goal to solve the problems. It's my goal to be a part of the process and to help others, you know, find that in themselves because then it's that much more powerful. And whether I'm doing it with my daughter at home or somebody at work or somebody through define you, like it's, it's really cool that it's actually really, again, another example of doing less to have that bigger impact, which is just really, really cool. So. And the coaching habit was really important to Lindsay and I one of the things that I really admire about the approach and the seven questions that you're describing is often when we're having a conversation whether you know problem solving conversation or helping somebody through uh, an issue or a setback often the pattern is you ask a question you listen to the answer and then you dive into advice but the coaching habit and those questions prompts you to keep asking and what else and what else and and pausing and and really structuring listening for understanding can really open up so many unexpected pathways to success for you and for the individual or team that you are that you are coaching you know, positioning yourself uh, in school leadership or as an educator as a coach um, again really is to me it's it's part of empowering the people around you um, it, it's it's naming and, and communicating and um, putting your belief into action that um, you are there beside them um, as they work things out using their own capacity. Uh, and, and you are there as a coach to help grow their capacity uh, to improve, to change, to, to deal with any setbacks too. And, and um, if we position ourselves as listeners for understanding, a framework, a framework like you're describing from the coaching habit reminds you that you have to listen way more than you talk and you have to listen not to answer but you have to listen to understand um and uh, yeah i'm really glad that you mentioned that was really impactful for me yeah oh my gosh it was so it's funny so at work so this is my third year at my district and i'm really trying hard to change my title actually and i know it seems little but so my title is behavior specialist well when people hear that they hear specialists they hear oh Lindsay will say, you know, and it almost gets this mindset of like, well, whatever Lindsay says, we're going to do. And that is not my goal. My goal is to coach. And so I, I to me, I align myself with our uh, ELA coach, our math coaches, right? Our instructional coaches. I'm just that for behavior. And I'm okay with it being that because to me, my goal, I would say this to people is, you know, they will say, well, you know, don't, no offense, Lindsay, but I don't, I hope I don't see you this year. And I'm like, I, I get that. It's because they don't want behaviors in their classroom. And I go, well, you don't have that, how to make that happen. Right. And they're, you know, and they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, then, then I hope I do get to see you, but just in passing. And cause you get to, you call me in for a celebration and you know, I don't take offense because I know where they're coming from. And, but I really, my goal is that they're not dependent on me is that they are independent, right? It's to me, it's the same as when we have dependent learners 
And we, as the educator, we're that bridge to independence. Well, I feel like I get to be the same. And I think school leaders across the board can be the same to really help build that independence in those that we are leading. And coaching is a way to make that happen. And I just think it's so important that, you know, by using that mindset of not doing for, but doing with so that they can eventually do Mm -hmm. on their own. I just think that's so powerful. All right. So the other part of your title. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no worry. The, the other part of your, in terms of reframing your title, um, it, it's also the behavior part of your title that can be reframed. Um, because as, as, as you just stated, the, the, the sense that the teachers want to avoid or, or want to, we, we certainly want, we certainly want orderly and supportive classrooms. Um, and um, we want to empower teachers as you're doing to create the conditions where um, students can be at their best on a regular basis. And um, when we as, you know, when, when we're looking at student behavior or trying to diagnose or move it forward, we, we, when we recognize that no kid wants to behave poorly or badly, no kid wants to um, be in a situation of, of despair or meltdown, like no one wants that, no one chooses that. And so um, I'm not sure how to reframe the word behavior to take the negative connotation away because there's so much that can be learned uh, from observing and trying to, again, ask yourself, why is this behavior happening and why now? What is this behavior uh, telling me about the student's needs? What is this behavior and what is this child here to teach me uh, about how I can grow as an educator to serve their best interest? And so um, your, your desire to reframe your your role, I think, is no small thing because, as I've heard you say many times um, on your podcasts and, and in your blogs, you know, language um, is 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 key. Language is everything. Language is how we put ourselves and our experiences out into the world. Language is how we um, express what we believe and love and feel and desire. And and it's language that allows us to make sense of what we're seeing and hearing back from other people. So. I don't think it's a small thing at all. Actually, I, I think reframing it is is an authentic. It's an it's an, an authentic goal that you have to you know to stay aligned with what you believe. You know, language, mindset, and action is all uh, aligned. One, two, three. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's a great point. And thank you for bringing that up because I again I was kind of focused on the coach specialist part, but you're absolutely right. And you know, we do a lot of training at where I am. And, you know, I do a lot with Define You that behavior is simply what we do, right? Behavior, but yeah. you're absolutely right. It has this negative connotation to it because you hear behavior and more times than not, you think the negative things because that's what, you know, just as society we, we hear. And so I do a lot of, you know, when I do trainings, when I speak with educators, you know, let's redefine behavior. Let's redefine what behavior gets to be. And, you know, figuring out your behavior bias and understanding where you mm. are in the mix, because until you know that you're not going to, you're not going to want to change because you're not going to be aware of it. And until we're aware of things and how they impact us, we really don't take action to change it because why would we, right? If things are going okay. And we, again, whatever okay is for us, we're going to keep doing it. But recognizing that, you know, what is behavior? It's simply a, a, a lack of, of, a challenging behavior is really, to me, it's just a lack of, of a skill set that the student doesn't have yet. And we get to teach that skill. So I don't know, maybe something like skills coach or something like that may, uh, <laughs> may be in the, more in the line with the direction that I'm looking to, to go. You know, your idea around behavior bias is key. And I would say the behavior bias is when you hear, when you hear or think 
about behavior, you're thinking misbehavior. Uh, and you're thinking of the negative consequences associated uh, with a kid that's dysregulated, whether it's disruption, whether it's despair, whether it's worry, uh, interruptions to your teaching. I mean, let's face it, you know, teaching is among the most personal of professions. You, you pour your heart, soul, your personality. It's, it's an art and a skill. And so you show up ready to teach uh, and you've got a kid who is dysregulated, disrupted help but take that situation personally but uh, the biggest thing that was uncovered for me in, in my recent time in terms of professional learning was was this reframing of misbehavior uh, and taking a look at it as stress behavior taking a look at the conditions around the child that are contributing to the dis dysregulation and so um, as I've been working through uh, more and more learning in that regard. My behavior bias has been challenged, uh, all for the better. Uh, and now I'm, I'm in a position where I can, I can support school-wide changes and maybe even one day district-wide changes, challenges to how we view misbehavior and how we respond to it, moving more and more away from, um, I would say, lockstep um, uh, discipline consequence approaches to really looking at, at the conditions around the child and, and looking at growing the capacity of the educator and, and by extension, the parent and caregiver uh, around recognizing when a child may be approaching uh, a point of, uh, of, uh, of you know, tipping the scales in terms of stress uh, to a point where they can no longer control what they do or how they feel. Uh, and uh, so that's been a huge journey for me, I'd say, in the past uh, 18 months, two years. And it's, it's really one that I'm excited to be on with you, too, because as I, as I explore and, and read more and more about, uh, about your efforts in your role, um, I feel that we're really well aligned. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And something that, again, I could talk for hours on that, so we can do that. <laughs> Because <laughs> it is so, it is so tried and true, like redefining behavior and what it gets to be. And, and I just think, I think that's so, so needed in this, in this world. So absolutely, I um, would love to carry that conversation on with you because it is one that it's, it's, it's needed. I, I just think it's needed in this world and it's needed not only now, I, it was needed 15 years ago and I just never knew how to have the conversation. And so it's something I keep, as I learn more, I teach more. And, and to me, that's, that's what it's all about. So Knowing, um, kind of knowing all of this, and you had mentioned in, in the beginning that you've you know, been in education for 25 years. I love this question because it really kind of goes back to before that happened, before you took that first job, mm -hmm. you know, what was it or who was it that really inspired you to go into this line of work, this career? I think it began with some great teachers. Like I, I think of, um, I think in particular of, uh, of a French and uh, German language teacher I had in high school. Her name is Debbie Tuck. Uh, Debbie was, uh, as an educator, just committed to her kids, uh, welcomed kids in, uh, was fun, was dramatic, was outlandish in many regards, um, was memorable. Like I would say, just past, uh, unforgettable. Uh, and it was also Debbie, uh, in, in, in addition to nurturing my love of, of languages, um, Debbie also saw potential in me to be a peer tutor. So I, I was fortunate to be um, a good student. I was able to be successful at school. And Debbie, along with others, was able to pair me uh, with students who may have been struggling in certain academic areas. And so we met, I remember it was, it was like, it was like lunch and learns. And so we would bring our lunches, we would come to Debbie Tuck's room, uh, and we would uh, work together on whatever the student needed. That, that's where I began to really get a sense of myself as an educator, but it was also the beginning of me really 
looking at the needs of another individual and then kind of translating what I could do uh, to support them in a way that didn't mean me taking over uh, and didn't leave, uh, you know, didn't leave my peer um, leaving feeling stupid, if you know what I mean. Like you, you want to make sure they're leaving feeling supported um, because it's a huge risk to be identified, you know, as someone who can benefit from peer tutoring to be the 2T, I guess is what it would be. And, and so, you know, if, if you're taking the risk to show up there and admit, yeah, I could use some help with my French or I can use some help with my calculus, whatever it is, you want to make sure as a, as, you know, as, as a peer that those folks are leaving, well, feeling, feeling okay about the fact that you're coming together. Um, you know, I, I continued as a young adult to do um, things like uh, camp counseling. I, uh, I, uh, I led some uh, youth workshops and visual arts. Um, but I guess over the years, my interactions with young people um, through uh, coaching, instruction, uh, through tutoring, um, and the encouragement of educators around me and my family too, to say, hey, this, this really seems like a good fit for you. Um, it was something that I, I kept returning to again and again. So um, it was you know, I, I entered university with that as a goal in mind. Um, and as I mentioned at the top of our podcast, my goal initially was to be a visual arts teacher. And uh, um, that was and still is one of my passions. Um, I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a side tour uh, and, and, and dabbled in film animation as well and, and thought that maybe there was a, a time when, uh, when film animation was going to be a career of mine. And I'm really, I'm really grateful that I, you know, decided to become an educator because I, I can continue to, you know, dabble in visual arts and, and be a supporter in visual arts education. But uh, boy, uh, education has given so much back to me uh, as an individual, as a parent, as a community member. Um, and now as a school leader, it's, it's with tremendous pride that I, you know, I, I look at our school community and I look at our place um, within our district and, and within what we're trying to do in the province as well. So um, uh, education, I guess, has been with me since my student days. And I, I, I'm just, I just continue to be so excited about the growth that uh, is potentially mine as I continue in it. Uh, I love it. And, you know, something I took away that you said is, is isn't it amazing that when teachers uh, or leaders, you know, people that we, that we are with, but they see things in us that we maybe can't or don't see in ourselves. And, and I think, you know, for me, that's, that's a, that's a lot of my life, right? I, I, um, I've shared it before. I'll keep sharing, you know, I grew up thinking I was destined to be shy, reserved, quiet, head down. I didn't want to be seen, didn't want to be heard. And, you know, I, I was okay with that because that's, that's all I knew. And I thought, you know, I had this very fixed mindset of, well, this is just what I was born into and this is the way it's going to be. And it wasn't until adults around me that, that saw things. And, you know, uh, I had a swim, you know, my swim coach was like, Hey, you're really good with kids. Why don't you come coach our, you know, after school, after school. And I was like, okay. So I, I did it. You know, I was a pretty compliant kid. Like I was like, Oh, okay, sure. But that then turned into like, hey, you're really great at this. Why don't you do this? Or have you ever thought of that? And you know, even this podcast came out of a conversation with someone that said, hey, you were really great on this podcast. Have you ever considered having one of your own? And I was like, uh, no. And then I thought about it and I was like, maybe that's what I need to share my voice and, and really kind of overcome this, like, can my voice be heard, you know, challenge that I was having. And so I think, you know, what resonates with me too is, as, uh, as educators, you know, we have that ability that it's sometimes seeing, you know, not it is seeing our students' strengths, but it's also seeing 
the, some of their, I'm going to, I'm going to say challenges, but being able to reframe those challenges to say, Hey, you're really great at arguing with me. Let's, how do we use that to, to help you move forward, you know, through that. And I just think when we can take, again, that step back to say, what's the bigger picture here? Instead of seeing arguing, I see advocating, right? Instead of seeing, I don't know, I'm not gonna be able to come up with another example, but instead mm -hmm. of seeing that, what can we see? But that takes us as the educator being able to say, I'm gonna step back till I know, I know. And I just think that's one of the, the most powerful tools we have as educators. Something I try and do uh, as part of our uh, morning announcements and, and even just class visits or, or coaching, you know, students, especially through setbacks or arguments is, is really stressing that, that the goal is to be able to put good thinking between what you feel and how you choose to respond. And what you just shared is exactly the challenge for us as educators. Um, it's, it's challenging what we feel about what a student says or does um, and think about what this is telling us about what next step we could propose for the student. We try and put good thinking as educators, as carers for kids, try to put good thinking between what we feel about what we're seeing and hearing and how we choose to respond to it. And I mean, it's, it's also human to get your back up, uh, to lose your temper, uh, to fume uh, at a, a child, a colleague, a loved one where, where you don't feel, you don't feel respected. You don't feel understood. You don't feel that, you know, the investment of your care and time is being reflected, but, Above all, I mean, we're all works in progress, kids especially. Like they're not fully formed humans yet. So our constant challenge is to take that breath and to, again, really put good thinking between what we feel in the moment um, and even naming it for a kid and say, you know what, what you said or did is really stinging right now. Just, just give me a minute. When I, I'm going to get, just as you said, taking a step back, giving yourself time and permission to work through what you're feeling and say, you know, what I'm feeling is really normal. Anybody in my position would feel this way, but I'm going to return to that kid with a different outlook to let them know, okay, we had a setback, but we're going to move through it. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that, that, you know, when we can be intentional about how we, what we're feeling, and again, it goes back to that modeling, we can model it for the student we're interacting with. We're showcasing that it's okay to say that hurt. I'm angry, I'm frustrated, but you're showcasing it in a way where growth can still come from it. And I think one of the things that I, I know when I was in the classroom as an educator, I lost sight of so quickly was that growth is, is lifelong, right? Like I grow every day. It's a goal of mine is to grow. And yet as an educator, I assume my students needed to know it by Friday. You know, I assume that they needed to know it by the test. Like, and I, it's so crazy to me that I'm like, wow, I was not a great educator. <laughs> like I was not a great teacher, but I wouldn't trade those years because I learned so much from them. Would I do things differently? Yeah. And I do now, right? I, I make those, those shifts and those changes. And I just think it's so important that if, if we recognize that as educators, we're growing all the time. I mean, we have professional development days for growth. We have these opportunities for growth. You know, for my board certified behavior analyst, I have to do X number of CEUs every two years for growth. Why then would we predetermine what success looks like for students who, like you said, are not fully developed yet? Like, 
And I think that that brings up just like the, the system, the systemic change in education that that probably, you know, I'm going to say needs to happen. Um, but I just think it's important that, you know, we can't change that today. Right. I always say it's, it's a lot bigger than me, but it all, always starts with me. So I think, you know, even though it is a much bigger, like, what can I do? Well, today I can redefine what success looks like. Today, I can redefine what mastery looks like or the way the student shows me mastery. I can redefine that, ooh, that student said something disrespectful, but I don't have to be disrespected because I can hear why they swore at me and say, wow, that was a really tough class. If that's the first word you come into my class with isn't, you know, the F-bomb, like something must have just happened and, and you know, surpass that because it doesn't mean I have to be offended. If someone says something offenses, I, I accept offensive. I can choose that, but I don't have to be. And I think that is kind of what we're, we're getting at here is that we have the choice. It's what am I going to choose? What's the best decision I can make today with what I have and where I'm at? You know, when we can choose calm, uh, when we're faced with kids who are explosive, um, th- that, that is among the most powerful tools that we have as educators, as caregivers, as parents, is, is to, we spoke about it earlier, Lindsay, just, just be there moment to moment with what, the child is experiencing. And uh, I call it, and I've heard it called companioning. So you're going to be with them through that difficult moment or minute or half an hour or hour. And then when you have companioned them calmly through that, um, and when their emotions have subsided to the point where they're ready for restoration and reconnection, you're going to still be there. Um, one of the mo- one of the riskiest things that we can do as educators and uh, caregivers of kids is to detach from kids when their behavior um, is the most offensive. Uh, it's the most um, upsetting. Um, detaching from them is the human and natural response. You want to get away from threat. You want to get away from danger. You want to get away from aggression. But um, we need to lean in with love and care. Uh, when kids need it the most, but uh, it's understandable when they when they show they need it the most. It's often the most off-putting, and you want to run away, but uh, you have to hang in there with them. Not easy to do, and sometimes it does take you know some time to just acknowledge I need time and space, but I'm going to be your companion through this, and we're going to figure this out. Mm, I love that term. I hadn't heard that. I love that because it's it's absolutely that. And one of the things we coach uh, when I when I coach, you know, at, at my district is we coach the first question you're going to ask yourself as you're heading into, you know, work with a student is what am I feeling right now? You're not asking what's the student feeling, what's the environment. You're you're going to get to those, but you got to do that check in first because if I'm coming in with you can't say that, how could you speak to me that way? How could you? Well, you're 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 going to be in a power struggle. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going to be. You're not going to, you know, end up having a, a great conversation or, or learning or growth from it. So it, it really is understanding that, you know, it's okay if you, the educator, need the time and space first, like get yourself, you know, find that calm, right? So in order to, I think you said it before, in order to share your calm, you have to have it. You have to find it. And, and I think that is so, so important that that comes when we're really aware of, of what's going on inside of us. And I love that term, though. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, all right. So we've kind of hit on some different things. We talked about a little, uh, your passions earlier, but if you, if what, so the question, question three is what brings you joy as an educator? So is there, is there even probably, I mean, I'm guessing it's if you're Brad, so I'm guessing there's more than one thing because so much of what you do just elicits passion and joy and excitement. But what would you say brings you joy as an educator? Um, 
it, it, it may seem really simple, but it, it, it is true. It, it's bringing joy to others. It, it's, it's leaving interactions with others where um, there's a smile on a face or there's some laughter. Um, there is of, uh, of, uh, of love, of partnership, joy. And, and it, it really is uh, a passion of mine to connect positively, openly, uh, lovingly with each and every person that I encounter throughout the day. And um, it's, a, it's a walk down the hall or a walk into our classrooms. Uh, it's a walk on the yards. Um, it's, you know, what, what you feel and hear in my voice when I pick up the phone. Um, it's, uh, it's everything. It's, it's just, you know, connecting positively with people uh, on a moment-to-moment basis brings me joy. Um, and when I feel that joy, that, you know, that allows me to, to be even more connective. I mean, that, you know, the joy is restorative uh, for me. So, you know, um, you know, moment to moment joy, uh, moment to moment positive interactions. I mean, it, it takes me away from my worries, my preoccupations. Um, and, and this is so, so important in terms of where we're at with, um, with teaching and living in a pandemic. I mean, we're, we're, we're at risk. We're, we're in danger. It, it's, it's natural that we would want to enclose around ourselves and protect ourselves and those nearest and dearest. What I've found um, when, when I've had periods of stress or anxiety is, is getting out of your own head and looking around um, and, and seeing what you could do for somebody else, what you could do to lighten their load, to lighten their day, uh, what you can do to take something off their plate. Um, I, I, what, one thing that brings me joy is sort of the element of surprise, you know, doing or saying something unexpected um, that leaves someone feeling, wow, I really appreciated that. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. I, like I, I was thinking um, uh, back in the fall, I had the opportunity to host a mastery chat with, um, with Teach a Better Team. And, and the, the topic was moving from fear to hope, how we, how we help ourselves and others move from a place of fear, worry, anxiety to hope, positivism. And then it was then I was thinking about how frequently we as educators um, model the way forward on that through just little tiny things that we do or say. And um, I was doing some reading on it and, and people have actually labeled these micro kindnesses. So I, I was thinking about uh, the attention that we are, we are paying to um, uh, to equity, uh, to inclusion, to equality. And, and we are aware of the microaggressions uh, that we and others uh, both um, impart and experience. And I was thinking, you know, maybe the opposite of microaggressions is micro kindnesses. And it turns out that there have been folks that have been doing some research into this uh, approach to life, micro kindnesses. And, and um, you know, wow, all of these kindnesses, all of these opportunities to interact positively with others, they 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 really ripple outwards from individuals and the individuals become groups and groups become teams and teams become whole schools or organizations that each individual focused on micro kindnesses as a way of approaching how they do what they do. So that is what continues to bring joy for me is seeing the joy that others are experiencing and, you know, just feeling in some small way that I'm contributing to that in my, uh, in my uh, personal and my professional life. Oh, I love it. it. You know, right off the bat, I was thinking, and it's something that, that, you know, as, as typically happens, it will, you know, it's like, once you start thinking of one thing, you, it starts popping up in lots of different places all around you. And one thing that I've been talking about 
Uh, we were actually talking about it in my, so I have a current course going on right now, Magnify Your Mindset. And we're talking about this concept of um, kind of this, this dual universe, right? So if I go up, I have to go down, you know, left, right. There's these, you know, dual interactions and giving and receiving is one of the, I think, hardest for a lot of people that it's, you know, in order to receive from someone, they're giving something to me. And then the same, when I give to someone else, they are receiving what I'm giving. And, and where I thought of that is because you brought up, right? Like I feel joy when, when I sell it, when I see and celebrate the joy in others. And to me, that is like a perfect example of that give and take, give and receive. Because I, you know, I often hear from educators where I have a hard time, you know, accepting compliments. I have a hard time accepting praise. I have a hard time um, not, you know, not doing all the things. They want to do all the things, right? Kind of like giving and, and receiving. I think it's just so important to know that, you know, it's, it's both. It's okay to have both. It's okay to receive. It's okay to give. And it, and it comes that, that ebb and flow, that natural, you know, and I think for me, when I started realizing that, and I was like, oh my gosh, that just, it just made a lot of sense that, you know, what, what lights me up is, is, is this very same thing as seeing the, the inspiration light up in somebody else and seeing them see what I see. And it's just this beautiful back and forth relationship. And I think that that was perfect. So I love that. And I love, to me, that is something that is ongoing, right? That's something that can happen with your students, with your parents, with, with yourself, with your, with your staff. And I just think that's so important um, to, to keep doing that and to keep learning more about, you know, what, what brings us joy as educators. So important. Um, all right, Brad. Well, it's almost been an hour already, which is crazy. Um, but, and we've already said you, have, you have already dropped so much advice, but if you had to kind of leave our listeners, leave the listeners with one last piece of advice, what would that be? I guess I'd start by saying, um, be as authentic and be as available and, and be as present for others as is within your capacity. Um, I'd say that when you see good in the world, name it, amplify it, put it out there. Um, if, it, if, it, if it comes to you know, your, your mindset, your outlook, recognize that everyone's going to experience the ups and downs, like you talked about the duality. To, to, to go up means there might be a down. Um, to turn left might mean turn right. And sometimes a U-turn is there, but that's, I guess that's part of, you know, the joy and the wonder of um, experiencing life for ourselves and experiencing life with others. It's, it's all about the interaction and it's all about the relationships. So I guess my best advice to everybody, no matter where you are in your education journey or your journey as an individual is to uh, celebrate uh, and name the joy that uh, the people around you bring to you, uh, your loved ones, the people that you work with, your friends, your family, your neighbors, and just start naming how much these folks mean to you. Uh, just put it out there. Um, often we can be really quick to criticize, but really slow to praise and to amplify the great things that are happening around us. And I, I guess that's part of my fuel and, and part of my joy too, Lindsay, is just to be on the constant lookout for the great things happening around me and just to name it, just to notice it uh, and let people know the difference that you're making, that they're making for you um, and let people know the difference that they're making for others. Uh, when someone's talking someone else up, make sure that gets back to that person. Um, 
you know, one of the key things we can do, especially um, in a world that is so full uh, of fear and concern and worry, um, is to be that light in the darkness. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to have rose-colored glasses on or that you have to be super positive each and every day, but, you know, carrying yourself and leading with love, making love your go-to. Um, you know, when so much is uncertain and there's so much that you don't know how to respond to, you can't go wrong with just putting love and, uh, and, uh, and human kindness out there first and foremost. Um, that's my advice is to, is to love, love each other, uh, name the great things that your connections are bringing you, and um, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and modeling the way forward. Oh, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Brad. I have loved every, every second of this podcast. Um, so many, I have an entire page full of notes here. So amazing um, takeaways and just, again, I always love, I think you and I, we see very eye to eye, but I think we, we again, we're two different people. So we use different language and we see things and, and we just define things differently. And I think that's awesome. And I'm all about, you know, connect with people that are like you and connect with people that aren't like you, but just connect, right? Like keep connecting because I guarantee the more you connect with people, the more you're going to learn about yourself. And you're going to learn about the world around you because you're going to open your, you're going to, I always love, you know, expansion. You're going to expand your, your lens. So maybe you're on a, you know, a, a two lane road right now. Well, through some connections, and like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, it doesn't have to be many. Start with one. That one will build to two and to three. And then, it, and then it's just 10, 50, 100, you know, and then it's, it's so many people. Next thing you know, you're on a 10 lane highway you know, learning from, from everybody. And it's just the coolest experience to know, like, man, I went from here to here and not, and all it took was reaching out to one person. All it took was putting one, you know, would tweet out into the universe, one Instagram post, one message. And that's, and that's where it gets to start, which is the really cool part of, of, of these connections. And so love that. Thank you so much, Brad. If people um, have not connected with you yet directly, where is the best place that they should go to do that? Lindsay, thanks. It's been a, such a pleasure to talk with you uh, today. And uh, I, your advice is spot on. It's just connect and see where the connections take you. Uh, and as far as connecting with me, uh, I'm at Brad, B-R-A-D underscore Hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S on Twitter. I would love to connect with your listeners and uh, I, uh, I get as much as I give. Uh, the connections have been just so, uh, just so inspiring and so, um, so part of my growth. And so thank you again for this opportunity, Lindsay. Oh, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for listening along. Make sure you go connect with Brad. Um, and if you love this episode as much as we loved recording it for you, go ahead and rate and review and subscribe and then share it out and tag us in it. We would love to uh, celebrate alongside you. And, and again, like Brad said, connect with you. Um, so with that, listeners, have an amazing week ahead. I will see you here, same time, same place next week. Until then, Remember, trust who you are, love who you are, own who you are, and those will help you define who you are. Have an awesome week, everyone. We'll talk soon.